Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Many of us know someone who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. It seems to be everywhere. People are living longer today, and our longevity is often given as one reason for its prevalence since age is cited as one of the greatest risk factors for Alzheimer's. But some people who have a puzzling brain to changes are surprisingly young, in their 50s, in the prime of midlife. What they have is not traditional Alzheimer's disease, but rather a different kind of dementia known as posterior cortical atrophy, or PCA. In today's episode, we come as we come to the end of Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, we talk with Jamie Tallon, a widely recognized science writer who specializes in neuroscience and neurology, and is the author of a new book, Atypical Dimensions, Understanding Midlife Language, Visual, Behavioral, and Cognitive Changes. Jamie will explain what, what researchers know about the causes of this type of dementia, which produces symptoms of visual impairment instead of the memory loss more commonly associated with Alzheimer's. While there's no treatment yet for PCA, Jamie will also talk about her commitment to giving back, creating lecture series and support groups, which are now serving thousands of people nationwide, leading to better understanding of what these diseases look like and how we can improve the lives of patients and their caregivers. And finally, Jamie will describe the latest adventure in her life's journey, balancing her science writing career with raising hundreds of grass-fed cows and sheep and free-range chickens with her husband on a farm in Idaho. So with that enticing <laughs> teaser, let's meet our guest, Jamie Tallon. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. It's really a pleasure having you. Um, for the benefit of our uh, listeners, uh, Jamie and I have known each other for many years when we were both at Newsday, and she was a terrific science writer then and has remained in various iterations still a terrific writer and, and, and contributor to uh, knowledge that we badly need. Um, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, or quite a bit, about PCA. Uh, before we do so, though, I, I always like to start, and, um, and I've mentioned this, Jamie, when I talked to her previously, but I like to, you know, since we're 45 forward, I like to give people a chance to say, well, how did you move forward from whatever age to where you are now? Okay, well, uh, I came to Newsday where where we met. I was 23, I just got out of college, and um I was a science uh, major in college and I loved writing and I wanted to work at a newspaper and I started um, writing for the New York Times, their regional sections. And and um, my boss uh, at the time, B.D. Cullen, called me up and said, you know, would you like to write a column for Newsday? It's a rather untraditional way to get into Newsday, but here it goes. So I said, okay, and I start doing a column and he asked me to do a column on the prostate. And there was a lovely man who was the head of editorial hiring. His name was Stan Asimov. He was mm. Isaac Asimov's less famous brother. Right. And 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 the, the week that my column uh, air uh, was printed, you know, he was in the hospital having his prostate worked on. Huh. And the, and he read the column, and from his hospital bed, he said, "I want that girl on staff." <laughs> I learned more about my prostate. Anyway, that's how I got my job at Newsday. And uh, 20 years later, 
Um, I left to do other types of writing. Newspapers were changing, as you know. And I started uh, teaching at a university and I started a literary journal and I started writing for a neurology publication. I've always spent my whole career, 40 some odd years, covering the brain. Mm. Uh, that's, that's the only organ I'm interested in. Um, mm. So I know nothing from the head down. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, about seven years ago, I did a story on this new a fellowship, a dementia fellowship at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. And they and I did a story and then I'm like, hey, that's really interesting because they were taking other people rather than just neurologists. And so I said, OK, how about a writer? And, and um, the head of the program said, well, apply. And I got in. I you know, moved to, to San Francisco for six months, uh, left my husband here at the ranch and uh, it was an incredible experience. I spent my days all day in, in clinic with patients. And it's not just posterior cortical atrophy, which I'm, a, you know, I focus on, but it's also uh, there are language dimensions where people forget nouns and verbs or or meanings of objects. And, and you know, there, there are very many different types of atypical dimensions and behavioral dimensions, which are really vexing. But it was only the PCA that I was drawn to because this was something, first of all, I don't have great eyes. I've always worn glasses since I was two. And I just mm. felt drawn to this, this visual and spatial dementia. And so I, when I got back, I felt like I wanted to give back. And I, I just said, okay, I'm going to start a lecture series. I know so many people, so many famous people from Newsday Neurology today. Mm -hmm. And, right. and I was like, okay, I'll do that. I did that. And then I started a support group for people with PCA, this visual and spatial dementia. Right. Of the atypicals, Ron, this is the only, I think this was the only type of atypical dementia that I could have done because people with language dementias would not be great at communicating on zoom and people with behavioral dementias would not be able to 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 do that so right. people with PCA are just like you and me well they just have problems seeing what's in front of them right well let's let's talk a little bit more about that so, so this takes some <laughs> explaining to do so why don't you just explain a little bit more about PCA and sort of how do you how do people diagnose it how do they find out they have it what is it? What is it? You know, what's yeah. the nature of this disease? It generally starts with like people are having problems with driving. You know, they they'll they're they're in the middle of the road and they they don't really know which way left or right. Um, and and numbers start like they have problems with numbers because numbers are very visual, right? If you if you're asked to like add two plus two, you know that's a visual thing you do in your head. And and mm -hmm. so these people would often go to the doctor and they'd say, hey, I have problems. You know, I'm in the kitchen. I'm looking for, a, you know, a spoon and I know it's right there and I just can't see it. And then all of a sudden it's there. And mm -hmm. so they go to an ophthalmologist or optometrist and they, they oh, you know, oh, you have cataracts or oh, you have this or that. And they often get misdiagnosed on this journey because nothing, you know, their, their memory is fine. Their insight is fine. Their behavior in every way is fine. It's just this, like, you know, isolated visual spatial problem. Mm -hmm. So eventually, if they're lucky, they'll end up at a neurologist's office who knows about PCA. 
But that, you know, could take years. And then find and these are people in midlife. So it's not like, oh, you know, oh, my my mother has Alzheimer's disease. This isn't like that at all, because you're expecting somebody in their 70s and 80s to have memory problems. Right. But you're not expecting somebody in the 50s to, to have memory problems. Right. Or visual and spatial problems. So so once they get to somebody who knows what they're what they're seeing, you know, it becomes, okay. you have posterior cortical atrophy. What is it? You know, it's sort of a misnomer to say dementia. Right. Because that scares people. Mm -hmm. And, And it's not really true. What you know, I mean, it's far, far fetched when you think, oh, dementia. No, you have a visual and spatial acuity problem in the back of the brain in the visual cortex so your brain your eyes are just fine it's getting that information from your eyes through the visual cortex to understand what is in front of you think of it like a puzzle right you're putting pieces of the puzzle together and and you know 30 pieces are missing and so you're seeing glimpses of something but not the whole picture. So you're really not quite sure what's in front of you. And so, and and these people, a lot of people stop driving way before they get this diagnosis because mm. it's scary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Because they're like, like going through stop signs or they're getting out of the car and, and, and banging into another car next to them or they're in the shopping mall and they can't figure out which car is theirs. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah. Do we do well? Do we? I know that you mentioned there's not really a cure, but we, do we know what's happening? In other words, like with with um, you know more typical dementias. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of research being done, and there's a lot of you know um, sort of theories about you know these uh, uh, plaques and tangles interfering right. um, with the cellular development in the brain. Do we have a sense of what? So, what is blocking the uh, the transmission of information from the your so eyes? Same, to... it, it's the same kind of thing. It's okay. so with Alzheimer's, it begins somewhere in the in the middle of the brain and it moves forward and and it spreads right. Just like it, people get worse over time, it's a neurodegenerative disease. But with posterior cortical atrophy, it begins in the back of the brain and the same. So for many people, it's the same protein abnormalities the the plaques and tangles but for other people it's lewy bodies which are another type of 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 cellular dysfunction Mm -hmm. Um, there could be other types but it's mostly mostly amyloid and tau that build up so it's almost like a earlier and different variant of alzheimer's wow and people with lewy bodies though ron have can have hallucinations and I have several patients right now at it, like, you know, nowhere, like we've been doing, I've been doing this seven years and we have a number of our patients in our support group who are beginning to have like, see, see people who are not there, you know, like, and they know that this isn't real, Mm. but, but they, you know, they have visitors, they have, you know, imaginary people come living in their house. um, And, and it's, like then you say, okay, knowing that symptom, oh, you probably have Lewy bodies developing in your brain, mm. not the same classical, you know, amyloid and plaque. Right. 
Yeah, but it's scary. I mean, because you're not oh. sure what's happening. You know, it's like yeah. you're not yeah. you're not forgetting things, but you're not being able to process things. Yeah, yeah. So, how do people? You know, I, I guess you would go to a neurologist. Is that the best to have some um, to diagnose it? Yeah, the best thing to do, and I notice this from just working with patients for the last seven years. The best thing to do is to find somebody who specializes in, like, a neuro ophthalmologist. See, a neuro-ophthalmologist would, would, would know PCA. Many okay. neurologists don't. They're beginning to. I have a 1,000 people who are signed on to my PCA support group on Facebook. Wow. So clearly, they are, are caregivers, friends, patients themselves who have found the right diagnosis, right? And, and right. it's happening more and more where I'm seeing. I see somebody joining every day. I didn't see that seven years ago. Mm. So growing awareness is part of yeah. the, uh, part yeah. of the yeah. solution, yeah. right, right, right. Um, and um, let's walk back a little bit. So how was this discovered? How was this disease discovered, you know? I mean, yeah, so, in, so all of these different atypical dementias were generally discovered, the language dementia in the 1980s, posterior cortical atrophy in the 1980s. There was a, a, a doctor at UCL, UCLA, uh, Frank Benson, who, who was, they were looking at these young people who were coming in and they're doing, you know, brain scans on them. And they were like, what's going on? They seem to have all these visual problems. And so Dr. Benson began, he, he, he drew like, um, there's this classic house, you know, mm -hmm. that like he asks people to, oh, here's a house, look at it and then draw it. And these people can't see all the dimensions of the house to do that. Mm -hmm. So he he created, you know, this this condition and they initially called it Benson syndrome. But now it's called posterior cortical atrophy. Mm -hmm. The same thing in language dementias, where it's called a primary progressive aphasia. And these language dementias is so interesting for us as writers because people can see an object and not know what the object is for, right? So you see an apple every day in your life, and all of a sudden you might not know that this apple is something you eat with, or that this, app, that this apple is a fruit, or you, mm -hmm. might for, you might forget like how to, you know, you're thinking of something like, well, how do I describe an apple? And you might say generally, it's that fruit. Right. You, and you yeah. might forget nouns or you might forget verbs. I mean, it's like this crazy thing that it's in the language centers in the brain. And it's also everybody's different. And then eventually people do stop talking with aphasia. Aphasia means that, you know, you're quieter. Um, you're, you know, and we don't know whether you're quieter because you're forgetting how to talk or you're quieter because you're scared to to talk. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're scared yeah. that. You just don't know what's going on. Right. So I guess it's similar. You just don't know what's going on visually, right? Um, when when you're when you're PCA. Now are, are these centers near each other, the visual center and the, the language center, no. or are they just different no. parts? Yeah. Different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. Um the, the the language areas uh Broca's area, Wernicke's area, and then you have behavioral dementias, which are so sad and vexing, because these are these are systems in the brain that govern emotion mm. and what we know socially about the world. 
you and I know we're looking at each other. We're talking to each other. I'm stopping. You're talking. I'm hearing. I'm listening. I'm responding to you talking. People with behavioral dementias just change their behavior. They, they could be impulsive, erratic. Um, I have uh, one family in, in the book where, where the, the wife, like what, the husband was just sending money to Guyana and, and they, she was very concerned and he said, oh, it's a friend of a friend. And, but and then it turned out that like he was arrested and, it, and then she finally like said, I can't live with you anymore. And then he became homeless and, and then he actually, you know, it was committed to Bellevue and uh, somebody in his room, a mental patient killed him. Wow. I mean, it's just, and then at the day he died, she had thought that it might be behavioral dementia. And, and she called a, a, a neurologist and said, I'd like to have his brain tested. And it was, it was um, behavioral dementia, you know, so I, you know, these things are so vexing. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I had, um, um, you know, I, I had, um, um, I never thought about it in, in these terms. I mean, you know, I just thought about, you know, well, dementia, well, just basically memory and processing functions, you know, some executive functions. So they're all sorts of manifestations. So, so this is fascinating. So, but, uh, so we have to take a quick break, Jamie, uh, but folks will be coming right back and talking much more with science writer, Jamie Tallon. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. 
That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Jamie Tallon, who has had a long career as a science writer and is the author of the recently published book, Atypical Dimensions, Understanding Midlife, Language, Visual, and Behavioral and Cognitive Changes. So before the break, Jamie was explaining to me the sort of the different aspects of, of dementias and uh, the fact that there, there, are, there are many more variations that I had really thought about other than, you know, people just sort of typically talk about, well, you have dementia and often associated with, you know, memory problems, cognitive processing, you know, um, uh, being able to, you know, count, do executive functions. But she's talking about, you, you're talking about sort of behavioral, cognitive changes, visual. Um, let me ask you this. So how, why is, do we know, you said that that um, the PCA affects people earlier and often in their 50s. Do we know why this affects you earlier than the typical or more traditional dementias? I wish we did. Now, so all of the atypical dementias seem to come earlier in life. And, and it's not because, you know, some people with Alzheimer's do have genetic conditions that trigger early onset Alzheimer's. Right. That's so different. These could, be, these could be people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, like, and that's different than this. There's There are no genetics that we know of that run in families that get, oh, you know, these people are all going to, you know, like, you know, they're all at risk for behavioral dementia or these are, you know, there, there is actually um, one, one, there are a number of diseases that do have these, these mutations. And one of them I became very, very interested in. It's called C9ORF72. And C9ORF72 is can cause a behavioral dementia. You have this gene, you're going to get either behavioral dementia or you're going to get ALS. And it's crazy. Why is this? Why, why are two very disparate conditions even related by, by one genetic mutation? It makes no sense. And, and I, in the book, I I got very close with this family, uh, two sisters whose other sister developed frontotemporal dementia and and they identified this C9ORF mutation. So they showed up uh, at the neurologist's office and said, we want to know whether we have this gene. And, you know, without like there's no treatment, Ron, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no treatment for any of these diseases. Why would you want to know that? And and ultimately, one of them had it, and one of them didn't. Wow! And and it was devastating, just absolutely devastating. And she ended up; one of the sisters ended up with um, a diagnosis of frontotemporal dementia, just like her sister. Wow! Wow! And her and their grandfather and father developed ALS. So right. now, you know, so like, why? Why does grandfather develop the ALS and the father, and then the sister? FTD and then her FTD. Why? When no one knows, no wow. one knows. But you know, there are some things like with language dementias. There is a hint, just a hint, that people who have dyslexia and as children are at greater risk decades later for a language dementia. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. It makes sense, right? Because you think, right. okay, there's some wiring that's different in people with dyslexia. Right. So, right. so maybe this wiring in the future could lead to 
a posterior cortical atrophy. I mean, I'm sorry, a, a, a PPA. A, yeah, uh, God. Post, yeah, primary post, progressive aphasia. Thank you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so are are there um, are there studies that that people can, if they think they're involved, you know, or they think they have uh, some as you know variation or some aspect of this yes. disease, can they, you know, um, yes. participate in studies? Yes. And have, yeah. Yes, there is a very interesting study that's available right now. It's still. I think it's still recruiting. It's called LEADS, L-E-A-D-S. And um, Liana Apostolova at Washington University uh, is running this, this study. And the LEADS study, it's actually many centers. I think at UCS, it's, it's, it, you could be in this study anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. There are centers everywhere. And these are, pe these are people who have to be under 65, Okay. Right. Because, you know, they have to have some kind of dementia, even though it doesn't look like that what we know of is dementia. Right. And you can't have like a history of psychiatric disease. You know, there's this kind of long list of things where you can't. Mm -hmm. um, and but it's a very interesting study. It's a longitudinal study that's not like testing any drugs. It's basically it's recruiting, you know, recruiting people who have these conditions and following them over time. To, and, and taking blood and taking brain scans and so that they understand what's going on here. Right, right. So how does how do people sign up? Find out about it, Jamie. What you said, if, leads. If they look, okay. Let me let me just uh, look at the website. Um, okay, the study on leads. It's just very very. I'm sorry, she's in Iowa. It's okay. leads l e a d s hyphen study dot medicine dot i u dot e d u okay and they can find out if she's she's in um iowa okay okay and maybe we'll repeat that again at the end of the show so people can yeah. uh, uh learn about that right so um and now are are um are people um um working with uh, these dementias also are, are they collaborating with um um, people um, also working with traditional dementia studies? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it's it's all grouped in. Yeah, you have experts on all of these atypical dementias, but by and large, they're working in memory care centers that work with all all types of, of you know, Alzheimer's. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I remember that there were support groups at UCSF and, and they would kind of like lump like a PCA patient in with a group of, of older people mm -hmm. and, and, and the patients just like, why am I here? Like this, this doesn't look like me, you know? Right. Like, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so you tell us a bit more too, that you've got involved um, th through the fellowship. Um, uh, that, that was the Atlantic fellowship. Is that right? With, um, yeah. 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 And and what's that is that associated with the uh with what? With whom? With um it's associated with um a foundation uh in England and I let's see. It's G B H I. Yeah, the Global Brain Health Institute, right? Right. So G B H I is sponsored by um the Atlantic Fellows for Equity and Brain Health. Okay. 
And, and, and so it's really not just for GBHI is just for, for dementias and, you know, but other areas in the program uh, in the Atlantic fellowship are everything, you know, equity in you know, like it's just across the board where people like myself in, in all aspects of life can join many different kinds of fellowships. And really the goal is to educate the public about whatever programs they have. Right. Right. And, and so you mentioned before in, the, in our introduction about um, your setting up these support groups and giving back. Tell us a little bit more about that work, about what, what it's like working with these support groups. Well, so, you know, I love people, right? And I mm -hmm. kind of spent my whole life feeling like my job as a science reporter was to educate people, even though people, you know, the higher ups at Newsday didn't really see it that way. I did, you know, like my mm -hmm. job is, is to educate people. Mm -hmm. And so when I got back, I'm like, I, you know, I just love these patients. What can I do to help? You know, my, I, I thought about writing a book, but, but in the interim, I said, okay, let me start a, 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 a group like, like you're doing right. That, mm -hmm. You know, have lecture series, have guests, you know, famous people come talk about the brain, come talk about PCA language, behavioral, and I did that for a couple of years. Then COVID hit and things got quieter. And then I said, well, right away, I knew that I wanted to start a support group. Um, I'm not a, a, a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. So I, I hired uh, a, a person at Harvard, Mass General. I didn't hire, she doesn't get paid. Mass General, I donate money to the Memory and Aging Center. And then she donates her time twice a month with me and we have groups of, so we started with about, I don't know, 15 people and they're caregivers, so patients and care partners. And we meet every two weeks. And, and so we have also added another group of, so of just care partners because we were realizing that over the years as people were getting a little, you know, a little more symptomatic that we needed to talk about very hard issues mm -hmm. you know like and so it really had to be just the care partners and not just with patients so we do you know patient care patient group caregiver patient group and then just a caregiver group mm -hmm. and so we we and, and it really works out most of these people have been with me and bonnie for seven years so and it's a wow. slow condition right so Mm -hmm. You know, like, so we're kind of like a model for this where we can say, hey, you know, I know you were just diagnosed with this, you know, really scary thing, but it's not as bad as it could be, mm. right? Because we're still intact or, you know, we can still talk, we can still, you know, okay, we can't drive, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not a progressive thing as fast as, you know, and some people have progressed to the point where I have to really talk to their care partners about not having them in the group anymore. Right. Right. So how many uh, people participate in any uh, one of these sessions? We have about every two weeks, we have our, our classic core group of 15 people. And I add people every now and then when, when others drop out, I'll, I'll ask the group, you know, can I have, you know, uh, this patient reached out to me, let's have him join or Bonnie has somebody from Mass General that, you know, she would like to have in the group. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it, like we do add new people on occasion. 
Right. They have to fit with the group, though. We're very positive. You know, there's no negativity in this group. They're, they're, they're hard, hard things that we deal with. But, but by and large, everybody is very positive. Yeah. Well, that's great. You know, it's, um, it's tough, but I, but increasingly, you know, having support groups, having someone you can really talk to. I mean, I think that, I think this, the, one of the, um, unexpected, um, consequences of the pandemic was, uh, really understanding how much human connection was essential to, to our health, um, uh, in, in many ways, both physical and mental. Um, yeah. And having support groups with something like this is really a, a tremendous um, um, contribution. Um, and you said I you love had, it. I, I yeah. mean, I would do it over and over. It was probably it's probably the most interesting thing I've done to give back in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I suppose you've been learning some things along the way. It's a, it's a, you know, on the developmental process. You know, a, well, a learning process and sort of gathering. You know research from just talking with people and getting oh, new yeah, information. Yeah. And yeah. I will, I, I also will talk to people, even if I don't, even if I can't have them in my support group, if there's no room for them, anytime anybody calls me, I am setting up a zoom call right then and there to talk to them because mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to feel like they're lost in this world. Right. In this right. new journey. Yeah. Now you mentioned, so there isn't a cure and we have support groups, but are there any, any, um, thoughts you have about um, care partners working with uh, patients or people with this condition, um, things that they can do to alleviate the symptoms or deal with them better? Well, you know, I say that, oh yeah. So a lot of my patients are, are, are doing um, uh, they're, they're contacting the, you know, blind organizations for the blind. Um, they, you know, a uh, couple people are now using canes, not because they necessarily need them for for navigating in their world, but it tells other people around them that there's something wrong with their visual system, mm -hmm. right? And it's really, you know, a lot of people talk about like, well, how do we tell people we have this? Mm -hmm. You know, how do they how do we how do they understand if they're just thinking? oh it's alzheimer's it's not you know what i mean like it's a totally different thing and these people are two decades younger than than people with alzheimer's right so we talk about how you, you can you know tell people i have um a visual handicap or right. you know rather than using the word dementia right right um so why do we use the word dementia? I mean, is it just because it's, it's a it's, misnomer? It's oh. it, it really, you know, it really probably shouldn't be because it gives people, you know, the wrong idea of, you know, because we've all come to understand, oh, Alzheimer's, you know, it's an old age disease. Right. But but it's not when you think about even Alzheimer's, it starts probably decades, couple decades before the pathology starts. The right. clinical signs might not start until their 70s and 80s but it's the process is there and it's happening you know what i mean it's yeah underway right right so you're involved in support groups i find interesting and, and inspiring and um i also um i uh, didn't mention specifically in the introduction but but about your other writing work um uh, you uh 
had founded a journal called Narratur, um, uh, which I found interesting because uh, tell us what this is about. It's a, I guess it was, it's an arts and literary journal, um, as a, in, which is a vehicle for caregiving. Uh, and and you started it, and, and I think you've uh, passed it along to someone else. But tell yeah. us why you did this. I, again, it was just like this idea I had, like, like it was a new medical school starting at Hofstra, mm-hmm. and I and I was leaving Newsday, and I and I went to the the dean of the department, and I said, you know, like I'd like to be part of the medical school, and and not and and start a literary journal. And, you know, I said it would cost about 20 bucks. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, two, 20,000 a year to, you know, have everything, you know, give it. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful journal. And they said, yes, they got the funding that, you know, it was it was just everything fell into place. And um, I just I started it. And, you know, that first year I was still in Long Island. So I would. For, for many years and I and I went in and I'd sit down with faculty or I'd sit down with you know and say with students like tell me a story you know because everybody was so scared oh I don't know how to write you know mm. so that first couple of years I was just like listening to their stories and writing it for them you know and and or help editing and then you know it was wonderful it was just a great experience because I love storytelling and I love science and I just felt like it was just, and you know, the medical students, they were wonderful. They were just really inspiring. Some of them weren't, obviously, but that's with anything, right? Yeah. Well, and I but did I th- it for ten years. Ten years, yeah. Well, I think it's it's just a, sort of a uh, an inspirational kind of creative uh, leap, you know, that you're always talking about people and science is talking and they're doing science, 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 science writing, and then this is connecting them with them in a different kind of way. So. I think it's uh, it's a terrific uh, idea, and I'm glad it's it's still being carried on while you're across the country now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so listen, we're, we're we unfortunately we have to take another quick break, uh, but it's only a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking much more in our last segment uh, with science writer Jamie Talon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. 
From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Jamie Talon, a distinguished science writer who long, has a long career, especially focusing on virology. Uh, she's the author of the recently published book, Atypical Dimensions, Understanding Midlife Language, Visual, Behavioral, and Cognitive Changes. Now, we have an interesting segment coming up, but before we get into what you've your newest adventure, I just wanted to make sure um, we let people know uh, where they can get a copy of the book and, you know, and, and find out more about you and your website. Thank you. I do have a website called uh, it's uh, atypicaldementias.org. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can link to the audio book on Amazon and you can link to the, the hardcover, softcover and um, ebook on, on right. that. Right. And, and if people want to reach you, you know, if they have questions or so forth, what's the best way to contact yes. you? They can reach me at, at my email. It's also on the atypicaldementias.org website. Okay. Or just, it's jtalon, T-A-L-A-N, 3K, as in three kids, at hmm. AOL.com. Okay. Shows you my age. Yeah, 3K, yes. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, 3K, 3K, I like it, <laughs> too. All right. So um, as, as promised, um, you know, uh, yes, the, the 45 Forward Life has many iterations, and and you're still writing, and you're still involved in in neuroscience writing, uh, but you've taken on another adventure, and I'd like to, you know, so you, you're you're uh, you're a New York City girl originally, you grew up in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, but now you're in Idaho near Boise, um, and tell us what you're doing there. Okay, um, I about twelve years ago, I married the love of my life and he was a cattle rancher in Oregon mm-hmm. and I was a science writer in New York. And I thought, Hmm, you know, we're going to get married. It's easier for me to go with my computer uh, out West than for him to go with 1500 cattle to the East coast. Mm-hmm. So we found uh, a beautiful spot in Idaho because I, I used to fly into Boise when, when we started dating and I was just like, okay, let's go to Boise. You know, it's like, it's a city, right? I grew up in New York City and it's a cute little city. And what I learned is that you take your, I probably knew this anyway, that you take yourself with you wherever you mm-hmm. go, right? Right. So here I was, you know, like, you know, entering a new phase of my life and I just did it. And I was telling somebody the other day that when I was a kid, we used to go out to the Hamptons in the summers and 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 I loved love being in the country you know i grew up in the new york city we used to play handball on the on the concrete you know mm-hmm. and, and and i my, our playground was the met and you know like museums we used to run around there as kids uh, 
And I just loved being in the country in the Hamptons. So when I moved here, we, we bought a beautiful spit of land, 1,700 acres, which is, you know, about two miles by two miles. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we have uh, horses and cows and uh, chickens and, 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 and a pig and a, a, a donkey and sheep, 300 so are sheep. We have, you know, just this huge menage of four dogs. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and, and there's this quietness sometimes where you're sitting outside and you don't hear anything. Like, you know, there's so much life around us, but the chickens are sitting there doing, they're happy and the pig is happy. And, you know, and like everybody's quietly happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, but it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's uh, I'm sure you. <laughs> this was <laughs> never on say? your radar screen from years ago, but um, <laughs> um, and I and I sell beef and lamb, grass fed, mm. grass finished. We go to farmers markets, which is important for me because I'm such a social person. I love people, so I have my peeps there. We, you know, we set up our booze. We we sell meat. I'm a cook, so I teach people how to cook. You know, it's fun. It's just yeah. fun. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's money making at all, but it, it is fun. Yeah. Well, it certainly keeps you engaged in the last part of you know, hopefully the longer last part of life. You know. It's, yes. Um, yeah. And you do. I, I I saw on your website too. You also uh, uh, produce uh, natural uh, raspberries too, right? For your. Jams. Oh yes, we have fifteen hundred raspberry bushes. And in fact, I haven't gone out to see whether raspberries have started yet because I've mm-hmm. been so busy. But and and then I make raspberry jam. It's called Jamie's Jam, and okay. and uh, so people buy, you know, but they buy lamb and beef. I'm like, oh, you got to buy some of my jam. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what are your days like now? There's they're obviously different from a writer's day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the first thing I do is I, I've got, you saw my two new puppies. So the mm-hmm. first thing is I get my puppies out and I get all the dogs fed. Then I get to go out and, and, and give the pig, the chickens, let them out and feed them. And, and then like, you know, and then I come in and write, right. I mean, I come in, I still have my job. I uh-huh. write for neurology today. So I do stories. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll text my boss and I'm like, I need a story. I need to stop thinking about all these animals and all these chores and, you know, like, just give me something. Let me talk to a scientist. Right. Right. Well, it, it, it does really make broaden your perspective on like what life is about. I mean, these are things that you never thought about before. I mean, you were always interested in, in, in being outdoors and so forth, but it's, it gives you really a different perspective on sort of the, the visceral day-to-day quality of life, you know? And- and also, Ron, yeah, so every year we have orphan lambs whose mothers, mm-hmm. for some reason, like give them up. They, they have twins, triplets, or just walk away from them. Wow. We call them the millennial mothers, where they're just like, <laughs> get up. And they're like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> and so we have to like raise them. So every year we have like white buckets in our house with lambs in each one. We have to feed them five times times a day with bottles and wow. love them and and you know i'm a jewish mother so like you know it's it's, it's like i've been uh, you know like last year we had little penelope who i was obsessed with i i would like order wool sweaters for her <laughs> and she'd be walking around with sweaters but here's what i learned about animals so 
seriously, I go out to the field and these orphans I raised years ago now have babies and they're bringing me grandma, their babies to say hello. Like, mom, this, these are your grandbabies. Wow. And, and, and it's like, and they still come up and hug us there that, you know, they know us. Right. Right. Wow. It's the, it's the craziest thing. And you just think that relationship with humans. And even the, a couple of years ago, I was walking out to the field. The field is like, like two football fields, right? And they're just mm-hmm. grazing out there. And I, I had a friend out with her daughter. We're, we're walking and my husband's going out to feed the, the three orphans right now. He just showed me three bottles. So he just wanted to make it a visual, give me a visual. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm walking out there and I notice this, this sheep comes running at me and stops right at my at side. And I thought maybe it's my little bummer babies. And and I grown up and I and I went to touch her and, and she just ran off and I followed her and she led me to her lamb that had gotten caught in a wire fence. Wow. And and I stood on the wire fence and I got the lamb out and then the lamb ran to its mother and they both ran away. And wow. I thought to myself, she knew to come to a human for help. Wow. And that's when you think <laughs> about that, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Any oh, other? Yeah, you learn. Yeah. yeah, you learn stuff. Yeah. Any anything? I guess what what would be your your biggest lessons or biggest surprises in this whole uh, enterprise? That 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 you could do life, it. <laughs> that that life can change on a dime. You know, mm-hmm. like and and that you could be who you are wherever you are, mm-hmm. and you and and there are kind people all over. Um, and then there are not so kind people all over, mm-hmm. you know, and, and COVID taught us that the world right. is changing. I live in a, a very um, politically different community than I did in New York. Right. And I'm I'm still able to adjust, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still able to get up and and have my thoughts about the world. And, and I, I this is a small town, maybe 800 people we live in here. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, kind of my motto is people can come here anytime. Mm-hmm. People can come here. If you're hungry, I will feed you. I will give you meat for free. I don't care. I don't, I don't do this for money. Right. And, and so people come and they pick raspberries. I say, oh, just leave me half in the refrigerator. And you take half your, you know, no charge, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are just like many such wonderful people here. We now have a milking cow. So, so I have people who milk her and then I have to clean the milk. And <laughs> it's like, it's, sometimes I just think like, what? <laughs> really? This is me? <laughs> Look at the girl. <laughs> who is this person? <laughs> yeah. I have friends in New York, Ron, who, who don't even know the difference between a horse and a cow. Wow. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and David, is, is is he fully involved in, with the, the farm? Or, yeah, he's, he... a, he's a rancher, but he, we do other things. As I, you know, we we just bought a house in Mexico, so we spent the winter down there and, 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 and timed it so that our, our sheep wouldn't be born in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, it worked out. And we only have three bummer babies as opposed to last year, we had 30. Wow. So we, we only had three in our house, which was a breeze, you right. know, and they're still coming around for milk. So now they live in the barn. They're out, not out with the big boys yet, but mm-hmm. they're in the barn. They 
come here, you know, they're on my porch, you know, I have to like get bottles and feed them and that'll go on, you know, that goes on for another maybe month and then they'll go out to the big boys. I don't wow. know if they'll be happy out there, but they'll go out there. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, so, so listen, what's uh, any, anything on the horizon, anything next, or I guess this is a lot to handle well, right I, now. I, I wrote the book because mm -hmm. I promised my patients that I would write a book. Right. And tell stories. Right. And, and I got very close to people and I just love doing that. Is there, is there another book in me? I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I spoke to a, a woman um, last week who had this amazingly sad story about her, the genetics in her family that she just, mm -hmm. just unraveled because of this other disease that, you know, is like kind of a movement disorder that took down her aunt and her mother and her two sisters all wow. in the last decade. And right. so I was talking to her and like, hmm, that might be a good book, you know, like, so, you know, I always try to like do different things. And um, my husband owns a, a limo company in Boise. <laughs> You're going to laugh. It's kind of embarrassing, but I, I'm a very good love letter writer. So, so every now and then, like, like there is a mother who's like rent, you know, going to have her daughter get married. And I said, oh, I'd like to write, hear your story and write you a love letter that you could mm. give your daughter, you know, on her wedding day, you know, right. like that. Yeah. Like, I just love telling stories. So. Yeah, that's well, that's the essence of uh, good writing is good stories. So you've told us yeah. some great ones. <laughs> and um, and also the other my takeaway in listening to you is just that recognizing that um, you know, I'm I'm working on a, a caregiving guide for family caregivers. And just my uh, under, you know, my my takeaway is is really understanding that these whether it's uh, diseases or just taking care of people in general, they're family issues, they're family affairs. Yeah. And uh, that's part of what the, I think the, the medical establishment, um, you know, needs to understand. And you've clearly, you know, as, yes. as while well, you as a writer, you're not a, you know, a physician, but you've, you've, you know, understood that phenomenon that these things are, are family issues. And even with your animals, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're family yeah. issues. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The caregivers, this last meeting last week, it was so powerful. And people were just like writing to me right after just to say, thank you. I couldn't have done, I couldn't have talked about this if right. my, my, my loved one was there. Right. And, 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 but these are issues that are going to come up because they're going to, they have a neuro path, you know, a neurodegenerative disease. It's right. going to get worse what that right. looks like no one knows right well again i thank you very much jamie for a terrific conversation very thought-provoking and wide-ranging um and I, uh, you can tell your friends if they miss my conversation with jamie today they can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com to search for 45 forward or go to my resources.com uh, website and click on 45 forward so be sure to join me next monday 12 noon pacific 3 p.m eastern I'll be talking with Beth Finkel and James O'Neill, two dynamic leaders of ARP. We'll describe many of the often not widely known efforts of this nonprofit organization that works on behalf of people 50 and older. So until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We wish you a great week.